Support for Speaking of Travel comes from Asheville Regional Airport, Western North Carolina's gateway to the world. Your safety when traveling to and from Asheville is and always will be our top priority. Asheville Regional Airport. Visit flyavl.com for all your current travel information. Prestige Subaru, offering a variety of new and pre-owned all-wheel drive Subarus, built with the zero landfill promise. All waste is recycled or reused, with more at PrestigeSubaru.com. Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours. Discover Asheville's scenic beauty and intriguing history, along with a local handcrafted beverage this winter, while you cozy up on top of award-winning rooftop bars. Tours offered daily, year-round, with safety protocols followed on every tour, and transportation is provided. It's easy to book a tour by visiting AshevilleRooftopBarTours.com. And by RomanticAsheville.com. Create your perfect vacation in the land of the sky with the region's most popular online travel guide. Plan your next getaway to Asheville and the North Carolina Blue Ridge Mountains by visiting RomanticAsheville.com. Welcome to Speaking of Travel with Marilyn Ball. Sit back and be carried away to places around the world and right here in our own backyard. No passport required. Hi, this is Marilyn Ball. Welcome to Speaking of Travel right here on iHeartRadio 570 WWNC. And remember, you can always listen to this episode of Speaking of Travel or any past episode with a simple click on the Speaking of Travel website, that's speakingoftravel.net, on pretty much all podcast platforms, including the iHeartRadio app, Buzzsprout, Pandora, and Amazon. And be sure when you visit speakingoftravel.net to sign up for the Travel Club. You'll receive travel news, helpful tips, and links to travel stories that are guaranteed to warm your heart from people around the globe. You know, I've been spending much more time this past year reading. All right, so maybe I do my share of bin watching too, but since I'm not traveling, I'm finding myself immersed in books that can take me away to other cultures and countries, especially when the book is written by someone who is immersed in a culture. These books really get you behind the curtain and help take you on a journey from an insider's point of view. And I have to tell you, you can binge on books too. I'm deep into novels set in Japan, written by my guest today, Janelle Patrick. Janelle is the author of five novels set in Japan and has been writing about Japanese culture and travel since she first moved to Tokyo in 2003, and now she splits her time between San Francisco and Tokyo. And I know it's early for you, Janelle, so thank you so much for being here on Speaking of Travel. Well, I'm just so happy to be here, and... My family says, you know, don't say the J word around here because you start me talking about Japan and it's really hard to get me to stop. Well, I have to say I've never been to Japan, but when I read your books, I find myself so immersed. There's just something really wonderful about having somebody who has been there, who's a part of that culture, who is really able, like I said, to take you behind the scenes, kind of take that curtain back. Why don't you give us a little bit of a, a backstory on how this all started for you? Well, the quick 
quick answer to that is that my husband is half Japanese and his mother is Japanese, not Japanese American, but Japanese Japanese. And she has a lot of relatives in Tokyo. So when we moved there in 2003, I had an automatic insider in because I spent a lot of time with them and they took me around. We went to see things that most foreigners don't get to see. And there's something about Japan that I just loved from the very beginning. It seems very approachable on the surface. It seems kind of familiar, but it, you scratch the surface and it's very different. It's very exotic. And so it had that great combination of being comfortable to be there, but also every day I would get up and say, what the heck and heck is that? I bet that was so much fun for you to to find yourself immersed in this culture that felt familiar to you and mm -hmm. that you were able to kind of slip into right away. So I I have to say that you know, when I read books that are set in other countries or other cultures, I always feel like there's, I don't know, maybe sometimes there's just, there's too much information that doesn't really get you right into the heart of of the culture. Let's talk about that a little bit and, and how your writing process with your experience and, and being there and being able to see things that other people aren't able to maybe experience, how that goes into your head, into your thoughts, and then out into your writing? Well, I think what the answer to that is, is that I lived there for a long time before I started writing. And while I was living there, I just loved it so much. And I wanted to share that with other people, which is one of the reasons I started writing. I've been thinking about what, why I wanted to share that um, so much. And lately, especially during this past year, when none of us have been able to travel except through books, I've been thinking about how books get us past the gatekeepers. So when you live in a culture and you learn the language, you start getting past some of those gatekeepers. But all of us, wherever we are, just hate gatekeepers. And I know you're thinking of the same thing I am, the bouncer at the end of the velvet rope, the guy who might not let you into the club. But when you travel, there's a bunch of those too. And we all know them. You know, they are the exhibits that are sold out for the entire time you're going to be there. They're the restaurant that you had to have called a year in advance at exactly five o'clock their time in order to get a reservation. And those are the kind of barriers that most people think of when they're planning a trip, uh, but those are actually the easy ones to get past. With enough advanced planning, you can read a good guidebook and you can go to a website that takes you off the beaten path, or you can hire a tour guide and you can throw some money at it. And a lot of those kind of problems will go away. But there are some barriers that are actually deeper than that with regard to travel. And when people send me an email saying, hey, I'm going to Japan, what should I see when I'm in Tokyo? And I say, well, what is it you'll want to see? And if their answer is, I just got to bag some Instagram trophies, I will say, go to my website. That's the Tokyo guide I wish I had and look through the, the places you can go. And I guarantee you are going to find enough stuff to take pictures of, to take back home that are, it's just going to warm your little heart and just go do it. Fit in as much in, in a day as you can. But if they say, well, I kind of want to understand what I'm seeing. Um, I say, well, you know what? You should read some books, but they're not going to be the kind of books you might think. I'm not going to say you got to read a history book or you got to read the, you know, the philosophy of Zen, you know, to understand 
Japan, I'm going to say you should read some fiction. And the reason I say that is sort of what you were saying, Marilyn. You read fiction, you are inside a character's head who lives there, who's a member of the society and who speaks the language. So language barriers are probably the very first thing anybody runs up against going to another country. And if you go to France and you don't speak French, you still could look at those two bathroom doors and kind of figure out the one that says D-A-M-E-S might be the women's. You go to Japan and there's like these two symbols on the doors and you're just flipping a coin and hoping you don't walk into the one with the urinal. You look at a menu and in France, you might be able to steer yourself to something that you'd like to eat. In Japan, you might point your finger at the daily special and it turns out to be fried cod testicles. Not, it's an experience, but possibly not a great one. So learning the language is a big barrier to going to any foreign country. But if you're reading a book, the characters already speak the language. They've already negotiated all of that. So you can get behind the curtain through their heads and see things that and understand things that you might walk right past. So for example, there is a, um, a tour guide in Tokyo who sometimes tells people to read my books. And sometimes friends say to me, okay, um, we're leaving on Friday and I've got your book, one of your books for the plane and we're going to be there. And, and, you know, I just can't wait to see Tokyo. And two days later, I'll get a, an email and they'll say, we were walking from the Meiji shrine through Harajuku. And I saw a pair of girls dressed as Gothic Lolitas. And I might not have noticed them, but I knew what they were. And I knew why they were dressed that way, because I was reading Nightshade on the way over here. Or they will say I was at the National Museum. And we were walking through a gallery that had a bunch of tea ceremony stuff. And I stopped to look at this tea bowl. And it, it kind of looked like something my five-year-old might have been able to make. But I just read The Last Tea Bowl Thief. And I knew what went into it and why the thing might be worth tens of thousands of dollars. I love so, this. It makes so much sense that you can actually read a novel and then be in that country and kind of retrace exactly what you had written. Yes. And sometimes novels, actually one of the best things about them is they can take you places that foreigners aren't allowed to go. For example, the second book in the mystery series takes place in Kabukicho, which is the red light district of Tokyo. And if you walk through Tokyo, to the, through the uh, red light district, and you're with someone who knows what they're seeing, you might see some very handsome young men dressed to the nines uh, walking around. And the person you're with might say, oh yeah, well, they work in a host club. And they might even be able to tell you that host and hostess clubs are the modern version of geisha and that uh, you can pay them a lot of money to treat you like the best thing since instant ramen, but you will not be able to go into that club. Foreigners are absolutely not allowed past the door. Uh, and there are a lot of reasons for that, but you, you can't knock on the door. You can't go in. You can't offer money. There's no way you can go into that. And it actually took me a year of pulling every insider card I could uh, to get invited inside one. But if you read the books, not only can you just breeze right past the door, you'll know what it feels like to have the handsome guy sitting at the table, pouring your drink and lighting your cigarette and whispering sweet nothings in your ear. And not only will you know what it, what it, feels like, you'll know what it feels like to work there, because one of the characters also does that. Well, I want somebody to whisper sweet nothings and be able to sit there and feel like I am right inside that place, Janelle. Well, when we come back from the break, I want to talk more about your books and 
uh, especially your latest book, because that one has really just really grabbed me right in. And I want to talk more about how that even came to be. So thank you again for being on Speaking of Travel. Tell us what, what is your website real quick before we go to break. My author website is JonellePatrick.com. It's just my name. And on that site is the Tokyo Guide I wish I had. But I also blog at uh, Only in Japan. And I have a newsletter called Japanogram. And all those things have different content on them, depending on what it is you're looking for. Well, I can't wait to hear more. So thank you so much for being here on Speaking of Travel. This is Marilyn Ball. I'm talking to Janelle Patrick. And we will be right back. Green is good. Local food, less oil. Renewable energy, sustainable peace. Tree hugger. Say no to GMOs. Be kind to animals. Don't eat them. Go solar. Coexist. Don't buy a dog. Rescue one. Keep Asheville weird. We just read the bumper stickers on the back of a Subaru. Welcome to Subiville. Prestige Subaru. On the web at PrestigeSubaru.com. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words... Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball, and I'm here today with Janelle Patrick, and Janelle is an author she has lived in Japan. She's right now living in San Francisco. And Janelle, it is so wonderful having you on the show. And I love this opening of a world that I've never been to. I've never been to Asia. I've never been to Japan. So I just want to really pick your brain a little bit about this culture. Well, I would love to have my brain picked. It'll be hard to set me up. It's okay. So, Janelle, let's talk a little bit. We were talking about your books and, and being kind of the gatekeeper, being behind the scenes. But give us a little bit of an idea of, uh, of your backstory. Did you travel when you were a kid? What was it like for you when you were growing up? I never had a passport till I was 24 years old, and I discovered when I was living in Japan, that there are two kinds of people who were living there as foreigners. And some of them grew up in military or diplomatic families, and they moved every three years. And they were used to that. They'd go to another culture, they'd pick it up, they'd get into it, and that was their life. That's how they'd always lived. And the other people were from nowhereville, nowhere. And they'd never gone anywhere, like me, until they were in their 20s or 30s or whatever. And they woke up one day and never looked back. And I've been kind of like that. And I bet a lot of people out there have bit by the travel bug. And this past year has been really hard on everybody because we haven't been able to travel except maybe through books or television or movies or whatever. So being able to live in a place is quite different from just visiting it. And I'll have to say the most wonderful thing about it and the most wonderful thing about asking someone who's lived there to help you see what you should see there is that that when you live there, you can afford to go st see stuff that might not be great. You can take a whole day to go out and see the azaleas at this temple. And the pictures look fabulous. But when you actually get there, there's like three bushes, really. Um, so you don't take people to go see those things. You know, you sort of you, you sort of edit the country depending on what people would like to see. And I do that in my books, too. Obviously, I write about the things that I think are just amazing 
but that most people would never see. For example, there is something that has not yet made it into a book, but you know, everybody comes to Japan and wants to see the cherry blossoms, right? Um, I'm going to come to Japan, but I should come during cherry blossom season. So, well, okay, cherry blossom season really is 10 days long. And really only five of those days are great. And it moves around. So you're going to be making your plans and you might get there. And those cherry blossoms, they are gone. You're going to see some green trees and, and you're going to be disappointed. There's nothing more dis- disappointing than a cherry blossom tree that has no blossoms. But if you've lived there or you're with someone who's lived there, say, okay, you do not have to come to Tokyo or Kyoto and pay surge pricing at your hotel and everything else, wait a, wait for a month and then go to Aomori. Go to the north of Japan where cherry blossom season comes later and go to the town of Hirosaki. And at Hirosaki, they've got a castle that's so beautifully preserved, there's still water in the moat and they've got thousands of cherry trees there. And when the cherry blossoms bloom there, it's what you think cherry blossom season is, but there are no crowds. You walk around and it's you and the cherry trees. And the best thing about it is if you miss it, if you mistime it and you get there when the cherry blossoms are already starting to fall, because the thing Hirosaki is really famous for is the pink moat. You go to the moat early in the morning and the entire surface is covered with beautiful pink cherry blossoms that have fallen during the night. It's just a solid plain of pink and there's still plenty on the trees and it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. But it's something that most visitors never get to see because they just don't know about it. So one thing I try to do through my books is show people some places like that. The last tea bowl thief takes place in a little town called Shigaraki, and it's where they make all the raccoon dog figures, these tanuki figures, they're lucky figures that you see outside businesses and you think, what the... What the, what the heck is that weird animal that's always everywhere? Well, this is where they make them all. You walk through town and there are thousands of them in all different shapes and sizes. Um, and it's a delightful sight. And so someone who's read The Last T-Bowl Thief might say, you know what, I'm going to take a little detour to see those. That is really great. And it's like we were talking about earlier being the gatekeeper. You're, you're in a way opening up this world for us. It's so dreamy. That's that's what keeps coming up. And as I'm reading your books, it's like, wow, I can see myself there. And here, here are things that I never would have been able to find in a travel guide. It's not like you open up a travel guide, right? It's like, this is right. taking you behind, behind the scenes. So how do you come up with your characters? How do you get in those characters' heads? Well, I know a lot of Japanese people. I speak Japanese um, and I've lived there a long time. So I have real friends and I have relatives who who live there. And so I get to know them in a way that, that I would get to know a friend back in you know America. And I think it's the tiny little details. You know, people are people all over the world and everybody thinks, oh, Japanese people, they're, all, they're always polite. It's like, well, they're, no, they're not really. Among themselves, there are you know, nice ones and not nice ones and greedy ones and, you know, generous ones and, and just like people everywhere, they're people. And so getting inside the heads of Japanese people is sort of like getting inside the heads of people anywhere. Uh, but I think the small details of life are another thing that you get through reading fiction and that make people come alive. So incidentally, one of the, the first character I've written, who's actually a foreigner is in the last Hebel thief. And, and I'm sorry to say, Poor old Robin Swan. There are a lot of things about me there. Robin Swan is a big and tall girl, even for America, but in Japan, where the average man is 5'7 and weighs 135 pounds, she lives in a country where not one single pair of pants in the entire country fits her. And her life is spent negotiating a country that is not 
her country. She is an outsider and she speaks the language and she's lived there long enough to know how to behave and where to go and what to do and the proper thing. But she is an outsider, just like we are anytime we go to a country where we are not, we don't live and we're not part of the culture. So there are, are funny little insights. I will tell you that the most popular post on a lot of travel web websites is 10 things never to do in Japan. And those are funny and you can read those, but you understand what those things are by the time you finish reading the book, because they are things that she either does or she tries very hard not to do. And there are other funny little things. Uh, you know, I was thinking about an, another way that, that novels uh, enrich a travel experience. And a lot of times the things you really want to see in a culture are the, are the things, like you said, Marilyn, that aren't in the guidebooks. So you wouldn't know that there are cafes like the one Robin goes to, where if you order a latte, they'll swirl it into this like really cute little tanuki face or a rabbit or something, something that you just don't see in your home country. Uh, and you wouldn't even know to ask for that or look for it, except you saw it in the book. So I think uh, experiencing everyday details like that, the good and the bad, are what make up uh, characters that feel real. Well, your characters definitely feel real, Janelle. And I I have to say that when I talk about binge reading, it's easy to do because you put one down, you want to pick up the other. So tell us how we can get more information. You'd mentioned your blog and you've got your, your author website. Uh, how can we get immersed in this culture with you moving forward? Well, if you're going to go to Japan, I do have the Tokyo Guide I wish I had. And that's a great place to start. Um, I have all of the things that you should see or you might like to see, including the very weird, quirky ones. Only in Japan is actually a blog that I started when I started writing the books. And um, the idea behind it was stuff you never see anywhere else. And I said, when I started it, I thought, well, okay, I'm going to every day, I'm going to find something I've never seen or eaten or or understood before, and I'm going to write about that thing. And the thing that I discovered is that by looking for that thing every day, I saw things that I would have walked right past. And I hope that like, if you look at the blog, you'll find those things too. There's, it's all kind, kind of odd. And the books are you know available everywhere. They're, they're on Amazon, they're on Barnes and Noble, they're in bookstores or whatever. But um, so those are all pretty accessible if you want to find them. So yeah, that's, that's the the entree, I would say. I love the entree, and I can't. I just can't wait to get to the dessert. <laughs> <laughs> There's another one coming. So, well, there you go. We're gonna have to have you back on Speaking of Travel, so we can catch up. And definitely, I want to meet you in Japan sometime. I want the grand tour by you. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great pleasure, Marilyn. Well, thank you, Janelle, for being here on Speaking of Travel, and we'll look forward to hearing from you again and and reading more of your book. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been great fun. We're having a good time. It's really fun. Speaking of laughter, we all know how important it is to keep looking for ways to be happier. And you know, I'm a big fan of being outdoors. How many times have you told your kids to go outside and play? Well, what about you? It's amazing how being outside really helps curb stress. And you want to take it up a notch? Coming up next is Michelle Ballard. She's the owner and founder of Asheville Picnic Company, and she's going to share why going on a picnic is a wonderful way to create memories, have fun, and stay healthy. So stay tuned. 
Hi, this is Kay. At Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours, we put you in the middle of experiencing Asheville like no one else can. With an expert guide by your side, you'll have an all-access pass to what makes Asheville so unique. Our sense of place, history, and awe, along with great food and drinks and spectacular views. We follow safety protocols on every tour. Come experience why TripAdvisor awarded our company the 2020 Traveler's Choice Award, placing us in the top 10% of attractions worldwide. To learn more about us and our award-winning tours, visit AshevilleRooftopBarTours.com. Buongiorno, this is Mark Smith, president of Private Italy Tours. Let me say first that we feel very confident that we will be able to travel to Europe again by the early fall of this year. Between early September and end of October, we are pleased to offer some incredible small group tours. 12 days in the Lake Region and Northern Italy, a one-week exclusive exploration of Eastern Sicily, and an incredible two-week travel experience across Puglia and Basilicata, two of Italy's least known regions. From a base of incredible villas and hotels, we bring Italy to you. Deposit specials are available to confirm your place on one of our exceptional tours. Join us in Bella Italia, the fall of 2021, private-italy.com. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball. I've been talking a good bit over this past year on how important it is to be outside. We spend so much time inside, and that's just not good for us. Being outside really fosters better mental health, and being out in the sun enhances our production of vitamin D, which is so important to ward off depression and fatigue and irritability. There's just something about playing in the sun that actually brings out our inner happiness. So during this time, I've tried lots of ways to combine my love for the outdoors and nature with my love for food. When I was growing up, my family would throw some sandwiches and drinks and a blanket in a basket and off we'd go to some park or overlook and have some real quality family time and I loved that. So imagine how excited I was to hear about someone who also cherishes making memories and loves food and the outdoors, who came up with a way to bring it all together for us. My guest today is Michelle Ballard. She's the owner and founder of Asheville Picnic Company, and she's a woman after my own heart. And Michelle, it is so great to have you on Speaking of Travel. Thank you, Marilyn. I'm so excited to be here. So, Michelle, give us an idea of how this even came to be. I mean, I grew up, we loved having picnics, but I never would have thought of making it into my business. How did that happen for you? You know, Marilyn, it's so funny because I grew up much the same way. As a child, we spent a lot of time as a family going out and having picnics and not just my immediate family, but my extended family. It was an annual event and we would always go to the mountains. So when I moved to the mountains about 11 years ago, I completely fell in love with Asheville and everything that it's about from the local movement, um, all the great restaurants and the food that we have here, and obviously our beautiful nature. It's amazing. 
So that's kind of how it all came together for me. It's like, what a great thing to put them together, the food and the nature. And then to put it all together and encourage people to be outside. And, you know, your timing just couldn't be better as far as really encouraging people and supporting people to be outside. So give us an idea of how this all connects, because that's the other thing I love about your your model is that you are collaborating and connecting with the rest of our community. Absolutely. And that's one thing that was super important to me, Marilyn, and one thing that I knew that I really wanted to do. I, I love our Western North Carolina community so much, and I wanted to be part of it in any way that I could. And I wanted to feel connected to it. So for me, it's given me these two great avenues because I get to work with a lot of the local food vendors and and even restaurants in the area. But then I also am collaborating a lot with our outdoor companies and outfitters and people that take people on hikes and fly fishing. So it's been so much fun for me as the business owner just to make those connections and be part of our community. Well, especially being such a foodie community. I mean, we are so lucky to have so many wonderful chefs and farmers, organic farmers, and people who are making cheese and spirits. It's it's wonderful. And to think that there's actually somebody who will put all that together and deliver, right? Absolutely. And I and I agree with you, Marilyn, it's what makes our area so special is we have got such a unique thing here. And for us, the ability to put that together in a very traditional picnic basket, accompanied with a picnic blanket and take that out for people to enjoy, just like you said, more than ever, we've got to get outside for our physical health, for our mental health. And here we are in the midst of a pandemic where everyone's stuck inside on calls and facing screens, including our children, which is really at the heart of my business. That's something that's really important to me is to get kids outside. Uh, You know, now is like the greatest time ever to be getting outside whenever we can. Absolutely. And you combine that with food and and then there's just something so magical and enchanting about having a picnic. And I was looking at your website, the pictures that you have and the the way that you describe what you're doing is just really so, like I said, it's just very enchanting and nostalgic, brings back a lot of memories. Thank you for saying that, Marilyn. We we love it. We we have so much fun with it. And it to me, it's it's about connecting with the people that you love and cherish, getting outside and truly making memories. You know, these are memories that people I know I still hold on to from my childhood. It's very special, those times. And you know, it's not just families, but we, we've we had so much fun delivering picnics to people who are getting engaged or maybe even eloping, celebrating anniversaries or birthdays. It, it's just, I always get this, I say to my friends, I'm delivering joy every time I deliver a basket because these people, it's always about something happy, which is so much fun as a business owner. And you bring such happiness to the people that you're connecting with. And that's such a beautiful thing as well, Michelle. So let's talk about your website a little bit. How can people find the information on how to order and and what kind of uh, picnic baskets you offer? Thanks for asking, Marilyn. So the website is definitely a great place to go. We're also on Facebook and Instagram if you want to look there for AVL Picnic. But we we basically have three different offerings, Marilyn. So our, our probably most popular is our traditional picnic, as we were talking about. So it is truly a traditional picnic basket with a hard top, 
red and white gingham lining. I mean, it's what you think about when you think of a, a picnic and it comes with a picnic blanket and, and both of those are yours to keep. And then it's obviously filled with food here from Asheville, really special treats, especially for a tourist who maybe can't get it all in in one weekend. Here's a basket of all sorts of local famous goodies that they get to try in one sitting. So that makes it fun. So that's our traditional. Another line we have is our Mountaineer picnic, which we pack in an insulated lunch tote. And it's something that, you know, if you're going fly fishing or if you're going on a nice long hike, even, you know, just going to be out and about, maybe even in a canoe, it's something you can pop in your backpack and take with you. So it's not that real traditional bulky basket. And then the last thing we do is my favorite. It's so much fun is we do what we call a custom picnic. So, you know, that could be if someone's coming to celebrate something very special, I would go in advance of the party, if it's a couple or even a birthday party, whatever it may be. And I would set up a very special picnic with ground level tables and pillows and blankets. We've done candles and flowers and balloons, you name it. So I work really closely with whoever I'm planning it with. It's almost like a custom event. So you basically just walk into that picnic you sit down and enjoy it with your uh, with your guests, and then a couple hours later, I will come back and clean it all up. So it's a it's an in and out deal, and it's uh, makes for a really special event. Michelle, I love this idea, and it's so perfect too in this challenging times that we've had. When the, when like we said, a lot of people are indoors. This is such a wonderful way to be safe, to be mindful, and and sustainable in the right. way that we. Uh, entertain ourselves. Absolutely. All those things rolled into one. You know, it's a, you're outdoors, which is a great safe place to be. You're probably going to be with people that you live with or are close with. So you don't have to worry about that stranger interaction. And we are very conscious about what we put in our baskets. Everything's recyclable. We want things that are compostable. And as far as even the delivery process, of course, any of our delivery people are wearing a mask. And we even go as far as to wear gloves when we deliver the picnic baskets, just to give that extra level of safety. So So I couldn't agree more. It's a great pandemic activity. (laughs) Well, Michelle, I'm so glad that you chose Asheville to be your home and to to be a place where you can start a business that is is just a cherished type of activity for the whole family. It's just such a beautiful thing. And tell us again what your website is and how we can get more information. The website is AshevillePicnicCompany.com. And everything we talked about will be right there as far as the basket choices. And you can place your order right from the website. Well, I can tell you, I am delighted when I pull up your website because the uh, the photos and seeing how you are partnering and collaborating with some of my very favorite uh, foodies in town just seems to make the perfect combination for everybody. Oh, thank you, Marilyn. Like I said, it is such an honor for us to be able to do it and so much fun to be part of this community. Well, Michelle, thanks again. I'm really excited. And someday let's picnic together. I would love to sit down somewhere outside and get to know you better. I would love that, Marilyn. Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor. Well, I think we can all say we're doing our part to stay current and educate ourselves about what to expect when we're traveling. So for those of you who are thinking about traveling by air, there's now a good bit of research out there that's contributing to the changes we're seeing to make our air travel even safer. Coming up next is Tina Kinsey from the Asheville Regional Airport with some new information on what you can expect when you take your next trip. So stay tuned.
Why not make the most of the beautiful winter season and plan your next vacation or staycation to Asheville and the North Carolina Blue Ridge Mountains? Create your perfect winter wonderland adventure in the land of the sky with the region's most popular online travel guide. Not just for couples, RomanticAsheville.com is a 900-page online guide covering a nearly 100-mile radius around Asheville, North Carolina. There are so many special places and awe-inspiring vistas around nearly every corner. And this is the perfect time to create safe and memorable adventures across Western North Carolina. Visit RomanticAsheville.com today. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words... Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball. We are so lucky to be living in the times that we are. Sometimes it seems like we're in a sci-fi movie when we hear about what physicists, engineers, biologists, and science are devising in these new technologies and tests to keep us healthy and be able to travel again. We've talked a lot before about the Harvard research saying flying is less risky than grocery shopping or eating out, but there's a whole new steady stream of scientific studies on the safety of airline travel. And the most current studies show COVID exposure is minimal when air filtration systems and masks are in use and shows that aircraft cabins are among the safest of public indoor environments. With things changing almost daily, it seems, I'm glad to say we have Tina Kinsey, Director of Marketing, PR, and Air Service Development at the Asheville Regional Airport, to share what's going on in the aviation world since airlines began putting some of these safety measures in place. And Tina, it is so great to have you on Speaking of Travel. Thank you. I'm always glad to be here. So, Tina, I've been doing a lot of research, and... It just seems that the studies that are being conducted by the U.S. Department of Defense and other highly regarded research places are showing that exposure on board planes is almost zero due to these filtration systems. What are you hearing over there at the airport about what's going on inside the cabins? Well, that's the same thing we are hearing, and the airlines have just really done a great job. They they work so hard to make sure they have every mitigation measure in place. And, you know, these air, air filtration systems have been in place for, for a while, and they just came to light as people began to express fear about air travel during the pandemic. And so there was an opportunity to really show the science behind what happens on on airplanes. And, you know, you mentioned something very important, and that is the air filtration systems combined with other mitigation measures, specifically mask wearing. Um, That's what really works and makes the risk of contraction of viruses in air travel low. And thankfully, we're seeing great compliance with that. And with the new federal executive order, there's a new federal regulation that requires travelers to wear masks 
in airports and on aircraft. And there are very few exceptions to when you can pull that mask down. And, you know, so that that gives a little more oomph to the requirement. And, you know, I'm what I see at the airport is pretty strong compliance. And, you know, that that makes me feel good. I'm glad. I think that there's such a desire to travel safely that people who who need to travel and are traveling are following those rules. It would be so nice if that compliance was seen everywhere, everywhere you go, that the model that we're seeing at the airports and uh, and on the airplanes could just be like the model everywhere. So you have to think that when people are considering traveling and they know that they're getting on board a plane, that there are these rules now that are in place that they have to follow and they're being compliant because they want to they want to be able to to take this trip, right? That's right. And frankly, when you're on an airplane, you are in close quarters. You know, you are near other people. And so I think this this um, very specific guidance backed by science has really helped travelers understand, okay, this is how we move forward. Well, I know that these reports are coming out and saying that uh, because of this advanced filtration system that are so highly affected and that run from the time that you're boarding the plane to the time that you're deplaning, the risk of any kind of exposure really falls below, like I said earlier, activities like eating in a restaurant or going into a grocery store, even when the plane is full. So that that gives me hope that everybody is moving in the right direction. Yes, I agree. And, you know, that's just what we have to keep doing just day by day, making good decisions and, uh, you know, moving forward. We all want to recover out of this pandemic. We all want it. And the travel industry is no different. I think one thing that I'm so proud of about this industry is the leadership that is so much a part of aviation, and that is a a very significant focus on safety and systems and processes and their leaders. They have been for, for a long, long time, you know, in that world of safety. And so this is no different. It really is. It's very comforting to know that in our world, there is such an industry that looks out for safety as much as the airline and aviation industries look out for us. I I think back to 911 and the airline industry just were you know they they were the leaders. They knew exactly what to do to bring all those planes down to to wait a long time before they flew again. Uh, being able to make these life and death decisions uh, is so important and I just feel very hopeful that now as things are starting to get back a little bit more to normal, we can be out in the airplanes going places and enjoying our lives again. Boy, that sounds great. I think we're all dreaming of that next trip. I think so, too. And Tina, there are some new trips coming up at the Asheville Regional Airport. Let's talk about that for a minute. Oh, yes. Thank you. It's such such fun 
it's a fun thing to be able to talk about growth in air service at this time. We've talked about it before, but our new nonstop flight to Las Vegas starts in just a few weeks on March the 4th. And I'm so excited about that. I think that that's a a really excellent addition for travelers in our market area to be able to just easily hop on a plane and land in Las Vegas and have a have a great weekend um, out west. And then we actually just had a new another new route route announcement, and that is nonstop to Destin, Florida. And that's a summer seasonal route, and that will start on May 27th. And you know, that'll be really exciting too. The panhandle of Florida, we've been waiting. We've been waiting for a nonstop to that area. We got we've got Florida covered now. I am dreaming of those blue waters. I can tell you, I've seen pictures of Destin, Florida, and it looks quite lovely. Oh, yes. And white beaches right on the Gulf. You know, we hear a lot of people in our market ask for that nonstop flight. So we have no doubt it will. uh, It'll be very welcome. Well, I'll tell you one of my bucket lists. I know this sounds crazy, but I have never been to the Grand Canyon and being able to get on that flight to Las Vegas and rent a car and go down and take that tour is going to be one of my top five of where I'm going. Awesome. And that's such an easy airport to fly into to access the Grand Canyon and lots of other uh, outdoorsy, you know, national and state parks. And, you know, it's, it's a really great gateway. I can't wait. So, Tina, how can we get more information about uh, not only what's happening there at the Asheville Regional Airport, but I know you've got some new TSA info on there and there are ways to sign up for your newsletter. What's the best way people can get, get up with you? Just visit our website, flyavl.com. You can click on our social hub right there on the homepage and it will take you to every way there is to easily connect with us either on social media or with our Sign up for our monthly e-newsletter. Well, Tina, thank you again for being on Speaking of Travel. It's, you know, we've talked about this before, but being able to really connect and uh, stay current is going to only make it easier for all of us when we do start stepping out and traveling again. So thank you so much for being our guest. Well, thank you, Marilyn. Well, thanks to Tina and thanks to Janelle and Michelle for being on Speaking of Travel today. There's no doubt that we've all been challenged this past year in ways we could never have predicted. These changes in the way that we live, coupled with uncertainty and not being able to travel as freely, can sometimes feel overwhelming. So it's helpful for everyone in your family to keep that spirit of adventure and travel alive until your next trip. But sometimes it's easier said than done. Some of the things I've done over this year is I put up a map of the world on the wall and I put little push pins in all the places I've explored. It's subtle, but it's exciting to mark my adventures and each place has its own little colored push pin. I've been exploring my own town. I try to visit a new location every chance I have to take a look at the community like a traveler and find all these cool unexplored corners. Sometimes I'll even get takeout from different restaurants I've never been to before. Who knew my town was so amazing? And I'm planning. There's no better time to start thinking about your next travel adventure. 
Make a list of your favorite destinations and begin searching for potential new places. Listen to past episodes of Speaking of Travel and get inspired by folks who have beautiful travel stories to share. Most importantly, it will not be like this forever and remind yourself that all is good in your life. Don't be afraid to burn the candle at both ends right now and live life to the fullest. Because remember, life is short. Don't postpone joy. Don't postpone joy.